You're listening to the Saturday Morning D&D Show with Jordan, the PH is silent, and Sir Lucian. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show. My name is Jordan, with a silent PH in the middle. And I'm joined always by my wonderful co-host, Sir Lucian, over at Sir Lucian Gaming, where he finally got his microphone, his webcam, his new computer. It's all up and running now. Can we hear you, though? All up and running, and go. I'm fixing the sound on my side for one second. He's back to streaming on uh, on Twitch, right? We're coasting we now. We're back. Yeah, see? It was just YouTube for a while. <laughs> but hello. Welcome, everybody. Um, Boy, it, it was the longest week I've had in a long time. Uh, oh, I thought it went by quick, but oh, <laughs> you must I, have been. Uh, I was on refreshing Twitter, Twitter like nobody's business. Um, uh, so you got caught up in the. You know what it reminded me of a little bit, just to jump right into it. Yeah. It reminded me of like the O.J. Simpson trial back in the day. <laughs> that is everybody a, shut okay. their day just for our community. Not yeah, for yeah, yeah, yeah. Else, I get what you mean. Just for our community. All of a sudden, there's live broadcasts and live this, and oh, we found new evidence of this, and oh, look, oh, there's another leaked email. Was just yeah, like, I was like, oh my god, and I like shut it off because I was like, I am not into this. We had too much of that with COVID and all this other stuff. I was like, I didn't even look at Twitter all week. <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, boy, I was hitting refresh just because they said they were going to announce something and then they didn't, and then like more information was coming out and then it was like are they gonna i'm i'm very surprised they said something on (laughs) friday wizards of the coast uh i'm surprised they finally did something on friday yesterday Mm -hmm. but in hindsight i guess they weren't planning on doing anything on friday they were gonna let it kind of like blow over and settle down but there was a huge exodus of people uh canceling their D &D beyond subscriptions and that cancellation gave Wizards real-time data to be like, what? And so then they kind of, like, were forced to do something on, on a, as a show of good faith is what I hear. So, mm-hmm. uh, But, so to get all into this, uh, we have yeah. lots of stuff to talk about. But um, And I don't want to reiterate everything about the OGL. Uh, if you're interested in all of this, there's, I mean, more <laughs> videos than I can count on on Facebook More or than on YouTube needed. or that there needs to be. And there's also lots of uh, articles and I linked some of the articles down below. The latest one is the latest Gizmodo article that kind of states the history of what was happening with all of this and stuff. But, uh, but wizards of the coast yesterday said that there will be a new revised version of the OGL on Monday is Potentially, they're going to release it on Monday. And that's not a leak. That's, like, from Wizards of the Coast. So we'll see what it is. And I've been waiting for it to be released because I kind of want to make my assumptions on what it means when we see the actual thing. But it's important to note that they they were saying the early ones were drafts and that a lot of, uh, uh, not that we're overreacting, but, like, you know, the, the early OGL was a draft and it wasn't blah, blah, blah. But... It, it's kind of a lie because it came with like, please sign these contracts. And now that some of the NDAs are lifting because of the time period of like, you're under this non-disclosure agreement for X amount of weeks, that was all supposed to end on the 13th. And the latest Gizmodo article was saying that, you know, we have industry people who are saying like, no, we were invited to get a 
15% royalty fee with uh, Wizards of the Coast for third-party content as opposed to the 25 that's going out to, like, the masses. And uh, so the OGL that we saw, the 1.1, it most likely wasn't a leak. And then this is a company that's lying to you. And I kind of just wanted to touch on that. Like, companies lie. I don't, you know, I shouldn't say, like, boys will be boys. I don't like things like that. Like, companies will be companies. But that felt like uh, a very uh, Orwellian kind of thing where it's like, don't believe your eyes. Like, believe us. Like, this was a draft. And I'm like, there's no way that was a draft. But that's the story they're spinning. So, I don't know. Thoughts? Well, and I guess (laughs) a draft would be... I, and I guess I'm, I'm I'm always weird on this whole thing, but a draft would be something before it's official, right? So you would be sending out pre-documents that aren't official until you officially release the OGL. So even if you were going to pre-send stuff out, that would be considered a draft of something until the official release. I suppose Now, what so. the assumption Semantics, is, is when yeah. they say it's just a draft, you're supposed to read into that, that this isn't what it is, it's going to change, but that that's not the same thing. A draft could be a draft of something that's not going to change, or it could be a draft that may have changes eventually. So whoever's reading that or thinking about that or made that statement has to then decide which way do they think that word is implying, that it's a draft that's then going to be changed at the end, or it's a draft, but there are no changes. It's still, you know, it's yeah. it hasn't been released official yet. Just like when I got uh, an adventure from them to do a test adventure they sent me a draft of the test adventure that wasn't published yet. And you got to give feedback on that adventure for them under an NDA. But they didn't that was want a draft feedback the... for this. They wanted you to sign sure. it. So sure. Yeah, sure. But I, I'm just I understand saying that, what that the saying. words and yeah. the semantics and how it, <laughs> and what I'm finding is, is that many people will read into their own emotion into this. Mm-hmm. So if they read a certain statement and they were negative on Wizards of the Coast and this whole D&D thing in the first place, then anything said is already negatively tented. If you were a, a cheerleader for the, for, you know, uh, Wizards of the Coast and you were like, no, this is, everybody's overblowing this and, you know, whatever side of that fence you were on. Although I didn't see anybody on the side of the fence of, you know, it seemed like it was all negativity towards uh, Wizards of the Coast, but I'm sure there were people out there that were like, weren't negative towards Wizards of the Coast. And when they read that statement, they see the positive light of that statement. So it's just really this odd, we inject what we kind of want to see or what we're feeling about that on whatever blanket statement comes out and just read into it like what we think it is. There is that. Or some people. But I, I, not everybody. I don't, I don't <laughs> believe, and, I, and it's weird because we're having this, this talk, but I don't think you read their statement yet. I did not. Yeah. So it's hard to have this conversation where uh, in a way you're playing devil's advocate where you're like, well, let's examine like, what does it mean to do this when uh, if you read it and I'll just quote this one sentence here that says uh, our early drafts of the OGL included the provisions they did. That draft language was provided to content creators and publishers. So their feedback could be considered before it was finalized. But that's not the case because those content creators and publishers were asked to sign on the spot with the ability to negotiate in the future. But they wanted them to sign to prevent them, you know. And so it's it's a little uh, 
I, you know, we don't know. Like, nobody's being transparent, I guess, because certain people are under NDAs and Wizards of the Coast is trying to uh, not have a PR nightmare because right. they, of stock prices and things like that. And we've been so. careful not to try to comment on things that we haven't seen ourselves and just go off of what people have said they've received or said they have seen yeah. or said they have read and leaked, which really this still amounts to that, right? Because we weren't sent anything to say, hey, no. Saturday morning D&D show, here's here's the stuff, here's the OGL, would you guys like to sign on under this NDA? We didn't see any of that stuff, so... Um, and I don't, I, and I'm not on one side or the other of it. I'm just, you are correct. I was playing devil's advocate because there's so many people not playing devil's advocate. There's so many people just saying, let's burn this place down. Let's, let's just shut them down. Let's, let's see what we can do to just end dungeons and dragons. There's, there's a lot of, people, I think that's there's a extreme, lot of people that have jumped yeah. on that bandwagon to say, how do we really hurt them? And then let's talk them into playing, you know, DCC or let's get them to play Monty Cook games or, you know, Cypher System or let's get them to play uh, Paizo and let's make Paizo. There's always that crowd. I, I noticed it the most, remember in our shows when I started talking about, I'm looking at Pathfinder 2 and I bought the books and we had the first show where I showed the books. I was getting all kinds of messages from a certain segment of the Pathfinder group that was all about and very kind of negative towards D&D and everything about pushing me away from why do D&D Pathfinder 2 is so much better and they're the better company and they're not evil. Dungeons and Dragons evil all in like, you know, DMs or, you know, little messages here or there. And I just, and it was, it's probably a small segment of that group that mm -hmm. does that, but there is a group of, of people out there that seem to dedicate themselves to getting people to stop playing Dungeons and Dragons or not letting it be, you know, the game that people play are the most popular game. I think it's maybe because it's so popular. That's the one they, they have, I don't know what, what's the word for it. Like have rebelled against maybe and wanted to try to kind of talk other people into playing something different or something else. So that group was very vocal during this whole controversy, right? So they're out there in droves. They're on, I mean, my Twitter feed was nothing, but you know, that kind of stuff. And it was content creators who are making content that really drove this, right? Drove how far and wide it got, how many people were talking about it, how, you know, what what the what the frame of light was on it, because they're the people who are making content that's 5e compatible and it may affect the money that they're actually going to make from that. Yes. Good or bad. So that's, you know, I think we have to look at everybody's personal motivation in, you know doing that and take it just like what is uh just like wizards of the coast we've always said they're corporate greed monsters okay you know that's you know that's actually probably very true because i think hasbro from a corporate level is a very greedy kind of like company they want to make money and they want to make all the money um but i don't think that just means everybody else on the other side was virtuous in in that either like there were many people on the other side that were in it because they didn't want to have to give a cut of money from the, you know, the $2 million Kickstarter they were going to do or might do or have planned in the future and have to give any of that money to Dungeons and Dragons or, or Wizards of the Coast or Hasbro. Yeah, like, I think you need to read a lot of the stuff before <laughs> you form these opinions. Uh, because saying that a company is evil doesn't automatically make other people on the other side virtuous. Like you're right. I don't. I don't. I yeah. Paizo still wants to make money. I don't know if they're 
virtuous. Um, but yeah. I, I do think that... No, I think they're neutral. Like, Wizards of the Coast trying to stomp competition is uh, the incorrect path. Like, But, it, but it's so. not stopping competition, right? It, it's it is. stopping them from using their IP. They're not trying to stop... They didn't go after Monty Cook and Cypher System. Correct. They didn't go after um fate they didn't go after powered by the apocalypse they weren't trying to say dice rolling is only for us and nobody else can use dice rolling that would be going after your competition you have 99 percent of the people. market share the actual competition of 99 percent of the market share is DD the people that can make third party DD products are directly influencing your 99 percent of the market share you are correct they don't care about money cook they don't care about powered by the apocalypse they care about D. &D. um i guess the the going back and forth we need to establish what is their ip and i look at the open game license as that is no longer your intellectual property you gave it away and so the fact uh, here's a good example i'm going to bring monty cook and or no i'm going to bring matt coville into this there was a fun interview a couple years ago that (laughs) has since resurfaced and they were asking Monty, or uh, Monty, they were asking Matt Coville, what do you think about uh, the open game license and like, how is it going to affect your new company that you just started, blah, blah, blah. And he said, you know, there's, and I'm paraphrasing, but he did say there are two wolves within every company. <laughs> and uh, he talks about the uh, Wizards of the Coast. And he says, on the one hand, you want to make a game and sell lots of copies of that game, uh, an RPG. But that RPG needs adventures. Do you know what actually takes up a lot of time and doesn't have a huge profit margin is adventures. So you make an adventure, you're selling it only to dungeon masters, and even then a fraction of dungeon masters because most of them are making their own content. Um, so how does that work? Oh, you get other people to make those adventures for you because in order for an RPG to succeed, it needs to have a whole bunch of adventures that you can pick off the shelf and be like, I don't know how to play this. I'll run this starter adventure. That sounds cool. Um, But the problem is, is when they made the OGL, that was what it was for. Wizards of the Coast 3rd Edition was just going to make player's handbooks and Dungeon Master's Guide because that's where the money was. But then uh, these other companies were taking it maybe in the direction they didn't mean, but a direction that um, was scary to them because they were losing control of the idea of Dungeons and Dragons. And that has moved forward to now you have corporate people looking at Matt Colville and they're like, he just made $2 million on a Kickstarter. Where's our cut? We, we, we did that for him. But my argument is that the people that are currently in charge of Wizards of the Coast had nothing to do with the OGL. They have no right to any of that money. Like, that that was all given away. And so there's nothing in Matt's book that is intellectual property. There's no mention of Dungeons & Dragons. There's no mention of Dritz. There's no mention of the Forgotten Realms. Like, all of those things that they hold, that there are theirs, you know, there's the word Transformers isn't in there. Like nothing Hasbro owns is in Matt Colville's books. So then why should he give them money just because somebody could buy it? You know, what if I made, well, I don't know. We're getting into hypotheticals, which I don't want to do. But yeah. and, and let me, let me add on to that two things then too. The way 
that was framed too is two things from Matt Kogel because one, he was building a website at that time to correlate adventures so that people had a quick and easy way to go find different adventures that were out there, whether they were third party or official. And they created the DMs Guild exactly for what you just said to allow people to build adventures for them, but they get a cut. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's what, that's the model they really wanted. So it is true I can that build the adventures. Built... I can build adventures for them using their IP. Yeah. That's and, that's what I want to point out because if yeah. I make something for the DMs Guild, I'm I'm allowed to use Eberron, Forgotten Realms, Elminster, Dritz, yeah, all of those things. But I can't if I do that on a Kickstarter. So yeah, I agree. That's right, why right. they created. So that. so that was that's where that, just coming from Wizards of the Coast point of view, that's what they would like for people to do is do it that way because they then it's within their IP, they get their cut, and then the creators get to do their thing. We're not talking about the outside part yet. Also, when that OGL was created, it was during, you know, when was the original date of the OGL? 2000. 2000. There may not be anybody in the company that runs it now that was there in 2000. Correct. So you're saying my company has to abide by the decisions made by the people who were there in 2000. Yes. Instead of the people who are here now making decisions for the path that my company should move forward with. And now it's stuck in stone is what you're saying. It can't be changed. Because I it was written that um, way, yes. Because it, yes, because people who are not with my company anymore thought that was the way it should be. Yeah. And I'm now sorry. But I'm a different like, group. And yeah, no, it's not sorry. You can change it. You can just go back and you can make that decision. Now, you could say the community is going to hammer you and burn you down if you do. And that's what we saw. So you have to weigh that consequence. And that's what they're doing. But it's, all new people, all new people running it all, you know, you can take your company in any direction you want. Jordan can take your, you, it would be just like you with your not, I guess you are a company at this point with your channel, but if you decide you're going to do some other content, that's not forgotten realms, you know, I'm not going to be on the side of the guy that comes into your chat area and says, no, Jordan, you can only do forgotten realms because that's what you did six years ago. And you're not allowed not to change your mind. They're not doing something noon. They're trying to and, you're, and do you're not, something different. I don't kind think of go you a different direction. I think you need to read more about it. Like you're not <laughs> like, I see what you're saying, but it's not. I'm not saying it's all. a good decision. I'm saying they can make I didn't, it. Yeah. I'm not saying you think it's a good decision, but you are <laughs> building it up that this is like legally yeah. or ethically or something no, they're allowed to do these things because yeah, you're, you're making these hypothetical statements it's not yeah it's not well your company like that, can though. change decisions your company can make new paths for itself it can decide they could decide to be a company that only sells i don't know tiles for tabletop gaming and they're not going to do books anymore or whatever they can go in any direction they would like with their products it's their product it's they're creating it and they can take their products where they would like to take them. I'm saying is I think they have a right to say, how do other people use our products? Now, Matt Colville's book is a but great But it's example. not their Second, product anymore. I think that's what I I'm keep saying. I'm getting to that point, too. I'm getting <laughs> to that. Here, right here. Matt Colville could have released that book and not used the OGL at all. It could have been the same exact book, and he could have done the same exact Kickstarter, and he didn't have to mention anything about the OGL. He didn't have to. So it's not a Wizards of the Coast book. It's not, so they don't have any part in that, right? Just like, um, 
I think that's what a lot of I saw that the research had come out is even when Paizo was looking back at the stuff they were doing, they realized we weren't using any of their OGL in the first place. We were using all new creative stuff. So we didn't even have to reference them in the beginning of our books and give them credit as if somehow we use the OGL to create this book. When in reality, when they went back and they said, there's nothing in here from the OGL, this book could just be released as it is with no mention of the OGL. And it's the same exact product. Mm-hmm. It's not different. It's not attached to the OGL. And I think going so I forward, think, that's what they will do. Like, yeah. Because and I think a lot a of those thing. products aren't utilizing anything from the system reference document. Yeah. Yeah. So then you don't even have to put that in there. You're not bound by it. Nothing changes for you. You continue on and you continue to make great books with great creativity. And you don't even have to be a part of the whole OGL thing at that point. Once you realize they weren't even using OGL stuff anyways. I think that everybody just assumed they were using OGL because if you made something that worked with, I, they never even said their stuff worked with 5e or anything. So there was never a reason that any of the Paizo would even be affected by it. But everybody seemed to think that they were hugely affected by it. I I don't, I was not prepared for this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I have not read Paizo enough to know why they include it. Or has it just become a catch-all of we make yeah. uh, an RPG content, we'll put it in there. Because if you're not referencing something specific, if you're not referencing Tieflings, if you're not referencing Dragonborn, I don't know why you're putting it in there. But it almost was this... I know for... I have friends that have published on Drive RPG. And after they publish something, Drive-Thru RPG says, hey, can you add the OGL at the end of that sometimes? And they're like, why? Do you think Wizards owns the right to the word goblin? Like, I shouldn't have to. But they do it because they were scared and it was like a safety measure. And I uh. do think that Paizo left that, that license in all of their books. Kobold Press, their monster books, they don't need an OGL in their monster books. There's nothing in there. It's, exactly. it's a monster stat block. It shouldn't, that shouldn't have anything to do with it. But yeah. I think it was a show of, hey, this is compatible with 5e and a safety thing. And now it's, it's coming back in a different direction. So, yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. And I still, we've all, I've always said from the beginning when we had this, I think it's a good thing that all of these creators have distanced themselves from it. Like they can all now be, creative like they're not tying themselves to them or trying to appease what they thought the OGL was it sounds like most of them never even read the OGL themselves either like they didn't know what was in it they just knew it existed and they knew they had to add that to their stuff if they were going to mm-hmm. say now I think there's a group of now I'm not saying all of them I'm saying there's probably a group out there that said I have this great idea but the only way to get it really popular is if I say it's 5e compatible in my Kickstarter thing, and that's how I'm going to generate. So that becomes a different kind of conversation, right? That becomes, I'm tacking it on, not because I need it to be 5e, but because I know it's going to be more popular if I do. That's a different kind of mentality or person. I'm not saying everybody's like that, or that's what all of those were. Like Plan G, I don't think they ever... I think when we talked to the creators of Plangea, and he's even even mentioned some of the stuff on his, and I, I saw an email come through um, where they were talking about the OGL and what they were going to do. Um, he was a dude that loved dinosaurs and thought, man, I just want dinosaurs in a cool world in a, using the 5e rules 
and it makes sense. He wasn't like, I have this cool world and it won't be popular unless I tack 5e on it, <laughs> right? It was, it was clear his passion was, I love Dungeons and Dragons, but I also love dinosaurs and I want to find a way to combine that. And, and I'm going to use, you know, my creativity, the OGL that does exist, that does let me do that. And then they did a successful Kickstarter and we got a great book out of it. And it's fantastic. Like I, you know, it's a great book. I still read through it and look at stuff. And I think that's the quintessential great Kickstarter, you know, for all the right reasons, the passion of the creator, bringing something into a game they love. Um, and I thought that was great. I'm not saying all the Kickstarters are that way. I'm sure there's plenty out there that, you know, just want to get that highest number so, they can or get the sorry, most. Sorry, I think you were you going know, back and forth. Could. But you mean like it it was good it was good for them to use the OGL because of the passion? Like they used it for the right no, reason? No, no. I was saying that just as a great example of a of a good Kickstarter of somebody being able to use Kickstarter to to get their passion created. Like yeah. be able to to get that out in front of people and share it. I just thought that's a, just a very cool. I think there are other people that do Kickstarter for very nefarious reasons. I've been a couple, part of a couple of scam Kickstarter projects and stuff, but that, you know, Plan G, I think was a great example of somebody who used it for all the right reasons, all the great reasons that you would use it for. You have a passion, you have this cool idea and you want to share it with people. And it mm. was, and there were people that wanted it that were like, yeah, this sounds cool. Let's do it. And then the product actually delivered exactly what that passion was. So I, just, I was just using it as an example of a great Kickstarter that I thought kind of used that whole process well. Um, yeah. Uh, Paizo has announced that they're going to create a system-neutral RPG license um, that will be open. And to kind of put this into perspective with software, because we both work in software, uh, yeah. they're <laughs> creating a third-party, like, neutral... A nonprofit organization that will hold this license, much like the Linux Foundation and open software. So, no one entity, because you're right, Wizards of the Coast owns the OGL, like it's under their name. And so, this way, it's like it's, it's kind of like the Linux Foundation, which, if you don't know, is this nonprofit organization that like holds the source code for Linux and they said that it's open. Um, I saw a really cool article on a website called uh, Hackaday that I follow for like techie news. And they were talking about the open game license and the ramifications of if wizards can revert it. So you can't use the OGL anymore, or you have to use their new version. Uh, the implications of those lawsuits will have on open software, because if mm -hmm. 30 years down the line, you're and we'll just use Linux, not that this works, but if you're using Linux, da 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 da, da and then all of a sudden the guy who created Linux, uh, Linus says, uh, by the way, I actually want money for all that now. And now Red Hat, Ubuntu, all these companies have to pay that have made their entire livelihood off of the idea that this was free software, this was open, anybody could take it and use it. Um, the the implic or the ramifications of that, um, and we'll see what the future holds. I'm not worried about that because I think if there is any kind of lawsuit, especially when you start getting into software and Linux, especially like the, the crowd for Linux is probably 10 times more than the crowd for the OGL. 
uh, there's people out there that want Linux Boy, to they, remain it free. It has stout defenders yes. for sure. So I was like, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't think that Linux <laughs> high-powered defenders too. I'm sure. I but mean, it's an interesting idea, and yeah. the article said in a funny way. They're like, there's a, there's kind of a unspoken clause that when you say it's open, there's no take backsies. You can't just be like, and he used the word take backsies, and I thought that was funny. Where you can't just be like, ten years later, like, oh, actually, now I want to profit off it. It's like, well, you gave it away. Um, so I thought that was interesting. They're going to create um, something. Paizo, Kobold Press, Chaosium, Green Ronin, Legendary Games, Rogue Genius Games, and Goodman Games just said that they signed on as of yesterday afternoon um, that they're going to all take part in defining what this system-neutral role-playing game language is and that anybody who wants to make an RPG can utilize this rather than the OGL. Um, and I'm it, super excited just to see what does that mean? Does that I do, mean I know. What does it mean? Defining dice. They're defining like checks. Strength. Defining saving what? throws. Are those words yeah. kind of, yeah. Attributes. Are yeah. they defining abilities? What, what are they defining? What is, is it a class-based system, a non-class-based system? You know, like all the stuff that could go into it. It sounds very interesting to find out where they would take it now that they're kind of maybe blank slating it. Because uh, yeah, all those games so. don't have the same even dice systems, I don't think. No, from those they companies. don't. Because Chaosium is uh, like 2D10 and stuff. Yeah. And I think they all make content for various things. But yeah, uh, no, it's it's very interesting. And we have no idea what it's going to look like. Yeah. I keep thinking it's going to be like a very stripped down version of basic dungeons and dragons like d20 you know stats modifiers are like strength agility you know they might be called different things but you're gonna have six different stats but i i have no idea what this is gonna entail well and you know this a little bit better because you're more into the um dcc world or the D &D kind of original D D stuff D D people that are that whole crowd they're not using the ogl to make stuff right that ogl came at third edition so that would be before so all the people that are making you know like dcc stuff or O dungeons and dragons or stuff that kind of references Retro the clones. first version of dungeons and dragons they could do that because nobody owns that uh no wizards of the coast owns that and oh they have a different um, thing they they do it under they do it under the ogl so if you buy oh, old school essentials, gotcha. it's ambiguous enough that uh, some of the core concepts that was in third edition can then be taken uh, and utilized for retro clones. And maybe they've never been, maybe they shouldn't use that. I don't know. Cause like, but all of my old school essentials has uh, the OGL in it. Um, every book that every adventure that comes out from Goodman games uh, for Dungeon Crawl Classics has the OGL in it. So, and uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics specifically, like we had James on um, and he was saying that he's like, it's just a a fun retro clone of third edition. And like, it is, that's what it is, but it's their own right, game. But I'm thinking you know? of like the game, like I know there's a whole group of people that are keeping the, you know, the old school Renaissance crowd. Yeah. They're keeping the game alive, not the third edition version, but the even before that version game. Correct. Like everything they're building is around old school the early, early edition of D&D. Yeah. yeah, but what I'm saying is that 
whether they should or should not, or if it's a loophole, they do use the year 2000 OGL third edition. Um, that Okay, so the OGL is not an edition, but you can put items into it. So the third edition system reference document is in there. The fifth edition system reference document is in there. Other companies have opened stuff into there for system reference documents. Um, not all of the OSR, old school Renaissance people, use the OGL. I know a lot of them that are like, I'm too small. I don't care. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. I'll get a cease and desist. Um, but the larger players, they, they utilize it to be safe because everyone's scared of getting sued. So. Right. I was just wondering if the older versions fell under that third edition version. And I, you're saying it is. I'm I so, don't know. Okay. I, like, that's what I was wondering. I didn't yeah, know that. I don't, because I the don't first believe... edition DD is very different than third edition. Yeah. Very, very different. And yeah. first, first edition, second edition are from what I am what I know don't have system reference documents. So people are building these by referencing the original game, but they're not, you know, but those games are out of print. Nobody's really playing them. It's the idea. And they're going so, on the hope that nobody cares. They'll leave them alone because we'll it's see. Yeah. Know, this old. And, or, and then okay. you just say, I didn't realize oh, that. I was wondering. Yeah. yeah. I didn't play enough of the games to know that. <laughs> um, so this new uh, open RPG creative license modeled after the Linux foundation that Paizo announced uh, its acronym is, uh, or acronym. Is that what I'm? Yeah. Orc. O-R-C. So it's the new Orc license or, uh, yeah, Open RPG Creative License. So the Orc license is what they're calling it. Um, cool. And I'm very curious as to what it will be. I don't think we're going to find out for a year, if not more, because it's going to take a while to not only come up with this, but also to uh, the legality of it. So we'll see what's going to happen. Uh, and then in other news, uh, Monica Games, who has never been part of the OGL and has very, I think, smartly created everything else outside of it. They don't use yeah, that. When he stepped you know. away, he stepped away. Yeah, and I think he knew. Uh, they're expanding the Cypher System open license, um, which is their version of the uh, open game license. But it's specifically, if you want to make stuff for Cypher, you can. Go ahead. Here's the license. Here's what you can reference. Uh, basically, like, we want you to make cipher adventures, but I don't want you to use Numenera and that world because that is their intellectual property. And it's kind of the same thing that the OGL was trying to do. But I thought it was cool that they're expanding the license to include more content. So if I wanted to make a Numenera game, I now have, or an adventure or something, I now have more content that I can pull from to create that. Yeah, because Wizards could have went that route too, right? They went the route of we're going to clamp it down and restrict it, but they also could have went the different route and said, let's add more to it and then see what people do with it yeah. and create it. Like, a lot of, of people sudden, are you sad. That... Use, you're allowed to use Elminster, or you're allowed to use Dritzt, or you're allowed to use this or that, and then people could... So they could have went a different way with it too. The big so. one is Artificer. A lot of people are yeah. like, why have you not added the Artificer to the system reference document? And it's like, well, we don't want to. We own that. Yeah, And so you have a lot of uh, these third-party publishers can't make um, Artificer stuff for their games, you know? Unless you go through the DMs Guild, which is a whole thing. People do that. Um, also in Cypher News, I thought this was cool. So they're going to do another Kickstarter, but it's not Kickstarter. It's BackerKit. They're using BackerKit instead, which is the same crowdfunding, only a different company. Um, they're going to do a Cypher system like relaunch because i think that's how 
Monty Cook Games does it with, and I know do Goodman Games does it too. Yeah. So it's like we're gonna do a reprint. We need the capital mm -hmm. to start this reprint. Let us know if you want to pre-purchase it, basically. But along with this reprint is uh, two settings, which I thought were really cool. And one of them is called Rust and Redemption, which is kind of like a apocalyptic Western. It feels like the Dark Tower to me, where there's going to be like zombies fun. and monsters, but you're a gunslinger kind of a thing. Um, and then the other one is called It's Only Magic to Create Urban Fantasy or Modern Magic Campaigns. And so probably like Buffy or the Dresden Files or something Dresden like that. Files, yeah. uh, but it totally got me excited because although I like Numenera I, and stuff, the idea of playing um, an urban magic setting seems really fun. Because I was really, I was for a while I was reading um, the... Mage the Ascension, which was the White Wolf Vampire the Masquerade, but it was where you're all like modern day wizards. And I always thought that was fun. And I love the Dresden Files. So, like, yeah. uh, I thought this would be kind of cool. So, and I, I buy know. all of Monty Cook's Kickstarter. So, everyone they put out, yeah. I, I get, I jump on. So, yeah, everything so, they do. I've always wondered why they didn't have a true, well, I know why, because I think, or I think I know why. I know Monty's always likes the weird as much as he likes the fantasy so his i always think of his stuff as fantasy weird like you know like planescapes and you know this he likes to throw a weird tinge on everything and he did when he was in, with wizards of the coast and he does with his stuff numenera has that cool weird it's sci-fi but it's fantasy but then it's weird also at the same time yeah. you know there's lots of that in there but i always wondered why he didn't have just a a straight fantasy world numenera is sci fantasy i would say and yep. then you had um the other settings they put out they put out one that was a dinosaur uh um based one but that also had sci-fi kind of equipment so it was like sci-fi with dinosaurs and, and put that together then they did um the one the blue one right there the, the strange. strange the strange was portals to other worlds that exist but there was um there was some a fantasy could be technological, some could be fantasy, some yeah. were an MMO that you got ported into that kind of thing. It was like a, a way to portal around these these different worlds. Yeah. That was the it one was that I was most confused stuff. by. And I've read I've read Invisible Sun, but the strange was still yeah. just like a little Invisible too Sun. That's more of like a modern day wizards, you would say. Is yeah. Invisible Sun, modern yeah. day wizards. You live in houses, you have electricity, things yeah. like that. Yeah. But he didn't have like the quintessential fantasy world and i think that's because he worked so long at wizards of the coast in my, in my mind he probably thought i've done that i did that now i'm doing all these other things mm -hmm. but i always thought for the portfolio of the monty cook games to have a strong fantasy world that was there you know paizos is Gal galandriel Gal Gal i'm trying to remember the name of their world uh, uh cobalt press is midgard i don't remember midgard for paizos, cobalt press yeah, yeah. you know but they're like their world or... forgotten realms yeah yeah, and um, then and um, Numenera is their their world, you know, in a way, sort of. But it has satellites and spaceships. No, but and, that's what I mean. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's not it's not the fantasy equivalent of the Forgotten Realms, but it is yeah. their like flagship world. You know, um, mm. I wanted to say that they had a fantasy world. I th I just thought it wasn't very well known. But I'm well, like digging the, around the on their website in the now. Appalachias. So then they do that one yeah. that's something in the Appalachias. They do one that's um, a horror version one mm -hmm. some of the books they put out they did one uh the gods fa uh, fall fallen gods or how the gods fall or something like that and that's about divinity descending 
being you know put back into the world and you play characters that have some form of a spark of divinity and how that happens but not like just more like yeah traditional tolkien medieval fantasy yeah medieval fantasy that kind of thing and i'm not saying he has to i just always wondered you know they have all these other ones and it seemed cool and cipher system works for anything like when you read the cipher book if you want to use cipher system to run one of those types of worlds i'm sure you could so i'm, gonna, I'm interested I'm to see these next two, two yeah worlds. no i'm i'm very curious about them too i'm gonna dig into this because uh i want maybe there say... is one i'm not thinking of no, I, I really do think that there was, and it's, it's, it is very traditional, like cast fireball and stuff, um, like fantasy, but yeah, could be. boy, I can't remember the name of it. So clearly it didn't take off. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll dig and I'll, I'll see what I can come up with. We don't need to do it right now, but yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, well, he, yeah. he did do Tolis, the book Tolis, which is a medieval fantasy. And he did one version of Cypher and one version of 5e. I have the 5e version. Oh, I think I have the Cypher version as a PDF. I should go through that and see how that looks because I guess that would be an example of a full-on medieval world, the city of Tolis in a medieval setting, and it's using the Cypher system rules. So maybe I should look at that. Maybe that would be it. And this Kickstarter might be really good for me to jump on to, because I have Numenera, but to jump on on Cypher. Oh, God's Fall? Is that what, what you were talking God's about? God's Fall is a, a divinity thing, and I guess you okay. could say, I, I kind of thought of it more of like... Um, I guess it could be like, you know, maybe like a Theros kind okay. of world, like a you you take on an aspect of something. Like I think I, I created one that was um, something of the wolves and then it gave me abilities to do with wolves and being the, the god or the essence of wolves. Mm -hmm. at, and then you were going to build up to that. It, it was a very interesting setting. It was, um, you know, playing gods, though, too, like even at the beginning or even, you know, using that kind of thing. So. That could be. I think I only um, played one game. Boy, I still want to like run that Eberron or Spelljammer game using a lot of Numenera stuff, or play it using Numenera rules, but set it in one of those. Um, yeah, because such a good system. Fun. The other system I'm really liking, and I, I Modifius's 2D20 system, I'm just finding more and more fun. And I'm doing a play test, and I'm doing, I'm looking at some of the other games they're they're bringing out because they. Modifius is a company that likes to buy uh, IP and then match it with a role-playing system, their role-playing system, right? So they've gotten Star Trek and they've gotten yeah. Conan and they've got, you know, they're going after the aliens and they're going after all these IPs and stuff um, and then putting them into role-playing games. And I just love their 2D20 system too. So that's the one that I've been liking a lot. Definitely love the Cypher system, the D20 system there that only the players roll, the DM doesn't which I like that whole mechanics around there. But I know you're a D6 guy, so you love the, the D6 rules. <laughs> I'm intrigued by D6 systems. So. Yes, you're the if D6 you're, guy. If you haven't, though, Lucian, uh, Lex is running Ted and a couple of other people through the Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters right? D6 yes. game. And it's very fun. I watched the first episode, uh, and it's and I think they're, they're doing another live episode tonight. I think it's Saturday nights. But uh, I really like I really like the the D6 system. And apparently they hired West End Games to make this D6 system for Ghostbusters. And then afterwards they were like, huh. And they made Star Wars and they made uh, oh. all that other stuff to the point where they finally just made open D6, which is like, here's space D6, here's fantasy D6, which is the rules oh. without the Star Wars in it. So 
That's cool. We um, should dive into that one time. Oh boy, have cool I? It's very. <laughs> I can send you PDFs, my friend. It's it's. Yes, yeah, send me PDFs. <laughs> um, it's a it's a fun system. I think it gets a little. Uh, it's higher up in levels, and I I am a firm believer that all RPGs have this problem. Start to break a, down. A little, well, there's yeah. a point at even Dungeons and Dragons Five E. There's a point where it's like I have a plus fifteen to my roll, and I'm like, that's too much. This is dumb. Yeah. Like this yeah. is not. It bothers me that we get to that point with Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> and uh, in the case of the D6 system by West End Games, your roll like you get to the point where you're rolling like twenty d6s and you're adding them all up to see if you hit and i'm like that's too much like it's we need like max five or six d6s i think like like i want max level to be like i roll 66 or something and i want level one to be like i roll one d6 but it doesn't kind of work like that so yeah you're reminding me of like a i think there's a version of shadow run or a cyberpunk where it's a d6 pool and then somewhere in there i was watching a group play and they grab like 20 or 30 yeah. D6s and they were going to roll them all. And it was just like, I was like, whoa, this is getting crazy. <laughs> yeah. And for like a regular attack, like if it's a cool fireball, yeah. that's one thing, but yeah. 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 So I don't know. Um, But uh, I, I like Monty Cook games. I think they make cool stuff. And Love I think them. this might be when I jump on to Cypher or like get my Cypher core books, because I'm very excited about that. It's only magic urban fantasy. And mm-hmm. I think, Above all, like Monty, K- Monty Cook makes good games, but I think he he has the most interesting mind for worlds. And yes. Numenera is like that, where I'm like, this is such a fantastic world. And Invisible Sun was the same way, where I was like, I got really involved in the mythology, and I'm like, what is happening mm-hmm. with this world, you know? So I think he just comes up with really fun uh, worlds. Yeah, you know? I love his creativity. Yeah, it's and really even good. when he worked at D anD D, like he didn't come up with Planescape, but he heavily defined what Planescape was, yeah. and that is a very the interesting parts set. of it. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Um, boy, lots of stuff. So on all of the things that are happening, uh, we will not be here next week because I have to watch uh, Mr. Oliver. We're not leaving yet. We'll still talk about other stuff, but um, with us, kind of have always been talking about other uh Way tabletop RPGs. Yeah. This craziness for there's, sure. There's been talk of of kind of rebranding the show and being like the tabletop RPG show or something else. We're not really sure. Uh I was playing around with I haven't told Lucian this, but I was playing around with logos and I was like, what if we're like 2D12 2D guys or something? Like I don't know. There was like funny things like that. Yeah. But, uh, and we wanted to do that because we found that there's only so much news that you get with Dungeons and Dragons. But mm-hmm. me and Jordan were also very interested in all of the tabletop role playing space. It wasn't just yeah. like there was only one game that was the only game we liked, and that was the only game play. We were both playing other games. We were both going to conventions and jumping in and trying out new games. We were mm-hmm. playing new games with other people and bringing other people into new games. But our show was kind of we had this cool, fun idea of a Saturday morning cartoon show. Saturday morning Dungeons yeah. and Dragons, and that's kind of how it started. But we we pigeonholed ourselves a tiny bit by doing. Yeah. In fact, we even set the day in it, like Saturday morning D and D show. Yeah. That really makes you very specific when you do that. I thought awesome, great idea. I would never change what we did originally, but it definitely kind of pigeonholed us a little. <laughs> uh, and I do want to uh, say thank you. Uh, do not want to for the donation that was very thoughtful of you. I will check oh. out the the Reddit post that you did. Um. 
But uh, I don't think our format is necessarily going to change. It's just going to be us talking about stuff. Yeah. But I think we're going to rebrand the name. And then um, Saturday mornings just aren't going to work anymore. So yeah. I do like it's the cool. idea of still streaming. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's fun. I don't necessarily want to pre-record everything because I think I, I find a lot of value in watching chat. And this has been a fun thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, we might be we might change to an evening of some kind. Um, but we'll let you guys know. This is not like we're not going to keep anybody um, in the dark by any means. Uh, but just be on the things. I'm gonna have yeah, to create. We a don't new know because we haven't intro. decided. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. um, and even we, because uh, I know Lucian, you wanted the um, Saturdays off, kind of more towards the summer and spring. Yeah, we're gonna so, be doing a lot more outdoors, traveling yeah. a lot more, camping, getting out, um, and so it just makes it easier if I'm not doing the show right at noon, which really kind of stops that day off and kind of blocks it off. And I don't want to say, hey, Jordan, I can't be here. And then he has to get another show host or he has to do the show on his own. We love doing the show together and we love talking about the different things and going through it. So I think that's just the the magic of it. And mm-hmm. so we're just trying to find something that would work. And so, I know your, yeah. your day's busy. You have a kid. Yeah. You're going to want those days to take your kid to the park. You're going to want, yeah, I mean, you're often having to go right after the show to say, Hey, I got to run. We're yeah. going to go do this. So I got to go pick a big day stuff like that. Yeah. to get back for us in some way, even though we love bringing the show to you guys that come here. And I'm, I'm floored that there's still people, there's people that have been here with us for so many shows. I can't believe they keep coming back. Yeah. (laughs) I thought they got tired of us by now. (laughs) So uh, we'll see. I have no idea. Maybe I'll put out a poll, like who likes what name best or something like that. Like, I don't know, but uh, Lucian and I will talk um, and it'll be a a slow transition, but we are going to, we're going to rebrand, I guess, as uh, not D and D centric. So, but yeah, because I think at the time I was only playing D and D. It just kind of made sense. <laughs> it was fun. I think right at that very beginning, yeah. Because I don't even think you were I was, yeah. in that first show that DCC game was being played yet. But it wasn't too far after that no, that yeah. you were already diving into Hot Springs Island. You might have already bought the books at that point. And yeah. You were just reading them and thinking about them. <laughs> and now I'm like trying to make my own system. You know, like that's the yeah. the path of the RPG lover. I feel is like you start doing. Yeah stuff so um stay tuned for that uh yeah in my personal gaming news uh yeah what have you done this week i finally got back to playing uh at nathan's house um because we because of christmas people got sick yeah uh boy lots of stuff happened and then i couldn't make it because of a th- i think i haven't played since early november it's been several we months. had a couple plays right um well plays and like kids birthday and i don't know there was lots of stuff going on mostly christmas and the new years and things like that so i finally last sunday got back to playing with nathan and we had a huge thing everybody brought well not everybody but uh dave brought a bunch of like food um he got all these ribs that he like slow baked for or slow cooked for us and like we had it was like we are finally back playing games like he was so (laughs) excited and i was excited too so i got my artificer out uh leveled up to eight but um, mostly for me, it was like catching up on what the heck happened. And they're because like, they got, had still been playing a little a, bit, right? They played like two more sessions, but they were big okay. sessions. So I'm like, yeah. okay, what are we doing? They're like, well, we're on a boat and we're hiding from this person. And I'm like, isn't that guy our boss? And they're like, oh, yeah, he was. He tried it's to kill a whole us. And I was story, like, okay. Jordan. <laughs> um, but 
gosh, having so much fun. I really love my artificer and I love that magic is like uh, gadgets that I have. I think it's just been really fun. So uh, playing around with that. And then we did a, we did a heist to steal some information to give to another person who was then going to give us necklaces that uh, I forget the actual magic item name, but it shields you from divination. Um, So this our old boss was spying on us and scrying on us. And he knew where we were at all times. And we were like, we got to figure out how to hide from this guy. So now we all have these necklaces that shield us from those. So he can't figure out where we are. And we're running into the woods to find our next plan away from a city. So he can't find us. But is this um, the black company campaign? Yeah, this is a black company. Campaign. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so he's he uh, we were on a boat. Apparently, this is a session I missed uh, and uh, fog rolled in and all of these monsters like rolled up and then they saw him um, on the coast, like conjuring all of this stuff, trying to kill us. And we're like, oh, how does he find us? Well, divination magic. We got to get some shields. <laughs> so um, I'm running Purple Planet, which uh, we talked about a little bit. The last time I think we were here, but uh, Purple Planet will be tomorrow. Um, cause that's Is there a, a purple people eater? There's a purple worm that eats anything. But okay. I think I should put a purple people eater in there now. So That um, should be a stat block. But this is the... I think I... Maybe I didn't talk about... No, I didn't. I don't remember. I'll talk about it again. Uh, but our wizard... This is the swinginess of Dungeon Crawl Classics, where nobody could hit this purple worm... They're doing all these attacks. They're they're just rolling oh. poor. It's not like they couldn't hit. But, you know, when you roll a four, you're not going to hit this giant worm. And then the wizard or the elf casts magic missile and accidentally gets like a, a 27 on his spell check and instantly does 40 damage that's unblockable all at once. And the worm dies. And it it's like that's kind of the fun swinginess of DC or of Dungeon Crawl classics is people are like, wait, what? He's dead. I'm like, yeah, that was a lot of damage. <laughs> like they're like, we couldn't even yeah. hit it with anything. I'm like, well, 40 damage to the face certainly kills it in one hit. So <laughs> they've been having a lot of fun. And then other than that, I've been inspired and I actually went through a lot of my uh, non D and D books and I've been reading them cover to cover to kind of get a better idea on how mechanics work and stuff as I'm, reevaluating my open D six or my modular D six system and things like that. Um, and maybe I should share this with you, Lucian, uh, the PDF that I've been writing, but I wrote a, a little bit on a, a system that I like. Uh, and I, I want to take the, the Ben Milton of questing beast approach where I'm like, mm-hmm. I need to take levels out. Cause I keep thinking like, well, when they level up, they need to do this. But a lot of these indie RPGs if you get rid of that. don't have levels. They're just like, here's how to play with level one characters. And then later on, you can add that if it's fun and people are enjoying it kind of a thing. And so I was like, oh, maybe I should do that because I keep focusing on, well, when you level up, this needs to happen. Um, but if I get rid of that, then I can just kind of focus on, well, is it fun to play at the table? But I've been having mm-hmm. a lot of fun uh, messing around with different mechanics and stuff like that. What about your your Dungeon 23 challenge? Yeah, so I released my second Dungeon 23 video yesterday. Uh, Not yesterday, but I released video number two last week, and then I will be working on it tomorrow. Uh, That Sunday morning is kind of my Dungeon 23 day, and then I work on it, and I film what I have and things like that. Uh, But I've got a dwarven vampire that's locked on the dungeon level, and... 
he was sealed there by uh, the cultists, the dwarven cultists that were like, we can't really control this guy, but we need to get rid of him. And so they sealed him up in a, in a coffin somewhere. And now you could unleash him if you do us, if you follow the puzzle or something. So that's the level I was working on. My, my uh, suggestion was death. So I went with this dwarven vampire and, and uh, kind of revolved around him for some reason. It just happened that way. But how's yours going? Very cool. I'm really curious about your dungeon 23. Pretty cool. Here's the funny thing. I've had a bunch of people contact me and say that idea that we've talked about on the show once yeah. or twice. And we're like, I am so into what you were talking about. That is so good. I'm like, wow, I had no idea it resonated with so many people. But uh, yeah, so I'm super deep into it again because now I created the the room that went up so that you could go to the next level. And we talked about what the tower was and and why it was. So then I had to sit back and decide, okay, each space in this first floor, what is it really going to be about? Because mm-hmm. I wanted it to be a theme and we talked about the elements. And then I started thinking about how does it, how do the entrances start and what's at the entrance? So I yeah. thought on the outside of the tower, I wanted it to be carved, maybe the history of the starting of the building of the tower. So when you walk up to it, it any one of the doors you choose to go into, it has almost like a small story that's not detailed, but is like shows the the beginning construction of a tower, right? And it has, and that's the motif on the outside. And then each of the doors are tinged with a metal door that is tinged with the different area you're going to go in. So remember we had the fire, the water, Mm -hmm. the air and the earth. So they're all going to have, so I'm starting on the fire area right now. And it has a red tinged metal doors that open at a certain time. And that's when people can go in. I'm still sticking with the idea that at a maybe at midnight you're teleported back to the entrance door right right at the entrance door and you can go out um and there's only like a certain amount of time before you know you kind of get pushed out and then the doors close and nobody comes back in until the rise of the sun the next day or something like that um something based on that and then and when you walk into the first area i thought well each area needs to be themed in this instance to what is that area so the fire theme one i'm really going with these the fire serpent is the mini boss that you fight to get through there if you want and everything in here is fire theme so what are the things you can do when you get here and i wanted and what i've decided to come up with is that this level is really a get your gear ready crafting drops those kinds of things so that you can push higher into the tower it's it's to encourage you to fight these things like the first one of them is a is like a fire salamander that has scales on it and then mm-hmm. as you fight these scales pop off as you're hitting it you pick those scales up at the end of your run and you can use those to create um items that have some type of fire resistance on them so if you know knew you were going to be fighting the fire mini boss and you wanted to get gear that was going to give you fire resistance to help you with it it would make sense that you would say oh yeah Let's go to the salamander room. We'll do some fights in there. We'll collect the scales. We'll collect some lesser fire essence that maybe we can use for other things. And that'll help us out. So then I thought, so this whole area is kind of built on things that you can fight and kind of farm in a way Mm -hmm. to get materials that you would then take back to crafters and they could make stuff that's going to help you progress further on. You might take that and say, we know on floor three, it's an ice floor. So if we can get a bunch of fire essence stuff to put on our weapons and our bows and our arrows, we're going to be much more powerful when we go to that floor. So I, I kind of was thinking that that's the theme of 
the first floor is like generating crafting materials. And then also in the entrance, I thought there would be the sarcophagus where you could put the medallion and you could bring a fallen um, yeah. player back and you could spend that energy and that spell is cast. There's also, I thought in the fire area, there would be some forges set up that are specialized and people, the guild have devised this system because they've been there for so long that you can purchase time on in the forge and the forges are made of, you know, they're like just a specialized forge that lets you do something that a normal forge wouldn't, right? Some type of magical forge. Like, hey, we get to use this dwarven forge instead of just the forge, the blacksmith's forge in, in the regular village. That kind of idea of there could be some specialized crafting that goes on. So then I was thinking the, the picture would be there's this group of crafters sitting there. Let's say the doors open at 8 a.m. for whatever reason. And then there's the group of adventurers. They're all joking and jostling around and punching each other in the shoulder. And there's the crafters with their wagons and stuff that are going to go in. And they each have their ticket. Then they get their chance to go and use the special forge and the special anvil that's there that can do some cool stuff and the adventurers are filing in to go do their thing and go their ways and do their stuff so i just thought it was kind of a cool thing and then they're all back at night they'll go back into town and party and and do whatever and then they come back the next day and do the thing again so it, um, it's almost like uh you creating a currency which i kind of like yes. so like this essence could be um a currency and so then it's like okay how much essence do you have well i've got 50 oh i've got 100 okay let's go and so you go and you fight um I guess anything, but we'll just say like, if you use the fire essence for uh, the ice things, like what if it was just a one-to-one -one translation? Like I, if I land a hit, I can roll my damage, but I could also add 50 damage. And so there's also that oh, like yeah. trying to figure out how many hit points they have. So you use your essence efficiently, efficiently, or maybe if you wanted essence to not be that high, it's like, I've got 10 essence and every one essence you put into you allows you to do fire damage of uh, an extra D8 or something. So when you land a hit, you can then spend it mm -hmm. to make it do damage. But I like yeah, that. Yeah, I was going to have level same... of essence, like lesser, regular, greater, okay, yeah. exceptional or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. And that, that same essence could be like, I'm going to use this to spend 50 of it to resurrect my friend, you know? Yeah. Um, because then it's a, oh, we could get past... I don't want to use it to heal. I don't want to use it to do this, but like, ooh, or we got to save our essence on this floor because we know we have to use it on the next one. And then it's a fun resource yeah. management and that's kind of cool. So Yeah, and you can use it to, to bypass that floor. So like, because the tower's only open for the day, right? And you don't want to have to slog right. through level floor one because you're ready to do floor two. But there's a pedestal right at the entrance of floor one that you can tap your medallion to and it brings you to the spiral staircase because you defeated the mini boss which allows you to do that and then you can go up and now you're on level two pretty quickly you know and that's how people are moving around quickly the other thing i thought of is just the logistics of the tower too is that in the lower levels the areas are made up of rooms that have been carved out and have stuff in them and maybe have low magic to maintain them so it doesn't require a lot to reset them or respawn the things or do these things because the spells that are typically being cast at that level are so low. There's not a lot that maintains that, but it, I got, I stumbled on this idea of once you're seven floors up, now you're casting magic at such a high level. These could be dimensional spaces that are much bigger than what you think the tower looks like from the outside, mm -hmm. but the internal space could be a much, it's like a bag of holding almost like kind of thing, but it requires much more magic to maintain that. And the reason it's higher in the tower is because that's where the higher level spells are being cast to get through this area. And that generates the ability for it to stay. So like the low level is pretty static, 
the higher levels could be much more different and much more fantastical because of the power being generated as these players and adventuring groups go through there and are casting their abilities and stuff. So I just thought um, I had to think, started thinking about, like you said, the currency of the place, the logistics of it. But I also wanted a reason behind why is the tower here? What is the tower doing? And not just be arbitrary, right? Yeah. There, there is a purpose to everything. And there's this weird thing that could pop up because of it. Like those forges and stuff were set there. It didn't, anybody could use them. But then the Adventure Guild came in and organized it so that fights would stop or people wouldn't take, you know, monopolize it. Mm-hmm. And they created a system that said, here, you can get a chit, you can pay for the time on it, and you do this. They, they formalized it, and they're backed by the power of the Adventure Guild. But they didn't build them or they didn't put them there, and they really don't truly own them. They just tried to, you know, impose some type of civility over how to use them and do that. So that's just a byproduct kind of thing. So I love it's it. Interesting to think of those kinds of things. So it's really I'm fun. deep into the fire zone right now. And I've gotten in, um, we've just, with the last two days, I'm starting on the water zone. Cool. Um, so they're like almost pie shapes right now. So I have fire and water. I had to split it up too, because you have each of the days, right? So you have, and it's not four divisible by four or 31. And so I put, you know, the center one is drops you down to 30 but then you got to put 30 around four different rooms. So you have eight rooms, eight rooms, seven rooms, seven rooms. So you're coming up with like, you're doing the math. You're trying to figure out what the shapes are. How's that fit? You know, it's, it's a whole thing. It's a bigger endeavor than I ever thought when we were talking about it in the beginning. <laughs> Building this. Because your sure. brain's like, going to so like all these creativity different places. Yeah. <laughs> so awesome. Well, like we said, I got to go pick up my kid. So <laughs> that is our show, ladies and gentlemen. That's uh, our show. But we will not be here next week. We will be uh, here the week after, most likely, as we're figuring out things that go on. Uh, but thank you so much for watching. Thanks you for participating in the discussion, everybody. Really value all of the stuff you guys do. Um, and just hanging out with us on Saturdays. Yeah, so that's really cool. Um, we will see you guys later. Take care and game on.